Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers. And this week, we are joined by the one and only Afshin Ziafat. And what a fantastic guest for this second week of the Life of Jesus Bible reading plan. We are reading the story of Jesus from the Synoptic Gospels. That's the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Afshin was just a fantastic guest. He is the lead pastor of Providence Church in Frisco, Texas. And listen to this. I love it. His passion is, and I quote, to teach the Word of God as the authority and guide for life, to preach Jesus Christ as the only Savior and Redeemer of mankind, and to proclaim the love of Christ as the greatest treasure and hope in life. I love that. Y'all are going to love him. And this conversation about the life of Jesus is just beautiful. Let's get to it. Afshin Ziafat, welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. I am thrilled to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored and excited as well. So. We are in week two of our five-week series called The Life of Jesus, and we really are just setting out to answer the question, who is Jesus? And we're answering that by looking at the three synoptic gospels, that would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and really just kind of telling that story. Last week, we had Dave Lomas on the podcast, and we really looked at like the prophecy of Jesus' birth and John the Baptist and Jesus' birth in his younger years. But, Ashvi, now we get to start into the ministry of Jesus. Yes, that's right, which I'm excited about because I'm actually, myself and my church at Providence Church in Frisco, we're preaching through Luke, actually. So, a lot of this is fresh oh, on perfect. my mind. So, I'm excited. Yeah. I love that. And so, one awesome. thing one thing I know, I happen to know about you, Afshin, is I've actually gotten to know a little bit about your testimony, and I like, I'm really grateful for what an enormous part the New Testament played in you mm-hmm. coming to faith, not as a kid, but as um, an older teenager, almost an adult. Would you tell us just a little bit about that story? Yeah, and that is why I'm so fired up to be on this podcast, because and why I jumped on the opportunity, Mm -hmm. because I do love the Word of God, and it has truly transformed my life. So basically, I grew up in a Muslim home. My family is from Iran. I was born in Houston, but when I was two, we moved to Iran. When I was six, the revolution hit, and we moved back. And basically, I didn't speak English. I only spoke Farsi, which is the language of Iran. And a tutor in the second grade who was reading me books after school to teach me the English language gave me a small New Testament. And she said, you're not going to understand this book, but promise me you'll hold on to it and read it later in your life. And she plants a seed in my life in the (laughs) second grade that wouldn't come to fruition until 10 years later. So 10 years later, as a senior in high school, I found that New Testament, began reading from Matthew, read the whole book of Matthew in one sitting. Didn't understand it all for sure, but God just developed a hunger in my heart to keep reading. And ultimately, that's how I came to faith in Christ. Okay, that's incredible. That is incredible. Thanks be to Uh, God. And what's more, she gave me the New Testament at a time when a lot of people were kind of turned against my family because we were from Iran and the Iran hostage crisis had just happened, Mm. was what was happening. Mm. So people threw rocks through our window and, you know, threatened to beat up my brother and I. And I share that not to throw a pity party, but just to say, had any other American given me that New Testament, I would have probably thrown it away. 
But since right. it came from this lady who was yeah. loving me and pouring herself into me, and she gave it to me, I said, man, mm-hmm. it must be important. And so it's just amazing to think that it sat there yeah. all those years. And after 10 years, I found it at the bottom of my closet and began reading. So, I mean, not literally planting a seed, but kind of <laughs> like planting a seed and like watching it flourish and like not just in the heart of one child turned man, but like in the hearts of many. Like, mm. that's incredible. And we'll get to actually, I love that there's so much that we're going to read this week that is going to bring us back to that. Even at the very end of this week on Friday, we'll read about the harvest. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am excited about this. Well, I think we should dive right in because so mm-hmm. much. I want you to keep telling us bits of your story, Afshin, because it's so interwoven not only into what what our passion is here at She Reads Truth, mm-hmm. and we are passionate about inviting people to read the Word of God, mm-hmm. um, believers and non-believers alike, and but specifically these texts that we're going to read this week mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So many of them are just very much related to Jesus' invitation. So we start in—let's start in Mark 1 today. This is from the Monday's reading, from today's reading, if you're listening to this, on the Monday that it releases. And we see Jesus here just at the very beginning of His ministry. Afshin, would you be willing to read for us this passage from Mark 1, maybe 14 through 20? Yeah. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Uh, Repent and believe the good news. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his father John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Uh, Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So that phrase, that follow me, Mm -hmm. and they followed him. In the short bit of your testimony that I had the privilege of hearing recently, that phrase was part of your testimony. How mm-hmm. talk to us about that. What has that meant for you yeah. to follow Jesus? Yeah, that's I think that is the key call of Christ. You know, he says follow me more than any other phrase mm-hmm. in the New Testament. And it's not just hmm. believe oh, the right things that. about me, you know, but it's follow me. And I think there's a difference yeah. between just merely believing the right things and just checking the boxes in your in your head about who Jesus is. But he called us mm-hmm. to follow me. Think about it in Matthew 16 when he literally said that he's going to suffer, die, and rise again. And well, even before that, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So he's more than a prophet. He is one with God. But then I'm going to suffer, die, rise again. He's not just that, but he's Savior. But most people would believe, oh yeah, I believe Jesus. I say most people. A lot of people would believe that he is God and that he is Savior. But the call of Christ isn't merely just to believe those things, because right after it, he says, if anyone wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, just like he did here. Yeah. And to follow him comes with a cost. Now, it doesn't mean that we buy our salvation or we earn our salvation by our good works, but it is a call yeah. not to just easy believism, but to lay down your life and follow him. And so for 
here in Mark 1, you see James and John, for instance, they you know, left their father and they left their, their profession. They were fishermen to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so throughout Scripture, you find people leaving behind business, leaving behind family. You know, Matthew, we're going to get mm-hmm. to him, Levi, the tax collector, who got up and followed him, Scripture says. And so Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must first sit down and count the cost. He talks about a builder building a tower and is not able to finish the tower because he doesn't have enough to finish the tower. He says he didn't count the cost. And so I think mm-hmm. um, that a, a lot of us want to want to kind of skip over that. But true belief will, I think, show itself in not just believing the right things, but following him. Yeah, yeah. I think we can, or at least I have you know, fallen into the the kind of self-deception of thinking, oh, well, a Jesus follower is a category that I fit into because I believe, mm-hmm. right, with my mm-hmm. head that he is Savior and not, you know, I I can I can create a disconnect between that and Jesus follower as a way of living, as an action. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to follow is an action verb. And so mm-hmm. And yeah, I, and that has meant something. I mean, even at the very beginning, when you you said that you came to Jesus by reading the Gospels in that New Testament that your second grade teacher gave you, but that in your position and in your culture and in your family, that wasn't that looked very different than for you than it did, yeah. you know, for either of us, for example. Yeah. So for me, you know. When I was reading that New Testament, I was reading under the covers with a flashlight every day because I didn't Hmm. want my parents to come in and figure out what I was doing. Well, finally, I would get to the book of Romans, and in chapter 3, I'd hear about a righteousness that comes through faith and not works. And that's the passage the Lord really used. And after that, I was invited to an event where I became a Christian. Well, I decided, I'm ashamed to say this, but I decided to hide my faith from my dad for about a year and a half. I would sneak out to go to church. I'd hide my Bible. You know, I would intercept mail from the church I was attending. My dad was always my hero, and I was afraid what would happen if he found out in my family. Well, he finally did find out, and he sat me down, and he made me choose between him and Jesus. And I want you to know, Hmm. everything in me, my flesh wanted to say, forget it, I'm a Muslim because I didn't want to lose my dad. And I share that so you know I'm not boasting, because I really think it was the power of God speaking through me when I said, Dad, if I have to choose between you and Jesus, then I choose Jesus. And if I have to choose between my earthly father and my heavenly father, then I choose my heavenly father. So my dad disowned me, said, get out of my face. You're no longer my son. And I walk upstairs to my room, and the defining moment of my life is when I said, God, how could you let this happen? And the Lord spoke to me. I didn't hear his voice audibly, but took me to the word. And I open the word and I turn right to Mm -hmm. Matthew 10, where Jesus says, I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And then whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so I think that's what follow me means. For me, it was my dad. For you, it may be something else. But he says, follow me. I laid my life down and then rose again. In the same sense, we got to come to him. We have to lose our life. We have to lay it down and then live a new life, no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. So for me, it was my dad. For you, it may be something else. I think of the rich young ruler, and I'll close with this, sorry. He walked away from Jesus, it said, 
for he had great possessions. Jesus said, sell your possessions, Mm -hmm. give it to the poor and follow me. And literally he walked away for he had great possessions. And so the question is, what do you possess that is so great you wouldn't be willing to lose to follow Jesus? That thing is probably your God right now, you know? So Hmm. uh, I think I understood that day what it means to be a follower and not just uh, believe the right things. Right. That it was something you had to, it's a, it's a direction. It's like you're moving in a direction after Mm -hmm. Jesus and. Yeah. That's such a powerful story. And I know it's not just a story like that is your lived experience. Mm -hmm. And, but I'm grateful that you're sharing that with us, Afshin, because you know, it is yet another, you know, something we keep coming back to. And I say keep coming back to, but last week we mentioned several times, like that reading the Synoptic Gospels in this way just continuously reminds us of the humanity of Jesus and the humanity that he lived within. Like there were people all around him, the human context and cultures in which he lived. And so in a similar way, I think hearing that story reminds us that you know, the way we get to look at all these examples, and we're going to see them, we're going to talk about them right now, about the way that people responded to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And to see the impact that Jesus had when He walked the earth, as we're going to read in these Gospels, and also to see that impact on real individual lives, like on yours, that He has even now, as he lives in heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, it reminds us that the stories are true and that that this is a reality and not yeah, right. just a story. Well, yeah. and let me just be clear that, you know, you know, there's nothing, it's not, that my story isn't about look how faithful I was and look how, you know, courageous I mm-hmm. was, you know, because the truth is I went kicking and screaming. My story isn't about hmm. a man's faithfulness to God, but God's faithfulness to a man. Yeah. I think what we see in the synoptics as we're looking at this, these were ordinary people. These were fishermen. These were tax collectors who were ostracized by the people. I mean, so these were ordinary people that Jesus called. It's not about look how amazing these men were, but look how powerful the call of Christ is. That if you want to know, man, do I really believe in Jesus? This is what it ought to look like. And again, not everyone mm-hmm. grew up in a Muslim home and had to walk away from their dad. I'm not saying that's the only way you can be a follower of Christ, obviously. But I'm saying there should be evidence that you have left behind the things of this world, left behind your own desires, your own pursuits, and given yourself over. For instance, I'll, I'll show this. In First Thessalonians, Paul says, I know that the gospel came to you not just in word, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. In First Thessalonians 1. Mm. And the rest of the chapter, he lays out why he knows it. And one of those verses, verse 9, he says, For you turn from idols to serve the living God, and you became a follower of us and of the Lord. So in other words, the reason I know that you have truly been called by God is because of your change. Man, you left everything behind to follow Jesus. So so yeah. it's an evidence of Jesus' call and his power is what I'm trying to say, and not an evidence of yes. look how amazing I was. Uh, or these men were. <laughs> well, that passage that you just read for us is in Mark. And we we mentioned last mm-hmm. week about how Mark is such a fast-paced gospel. Mm-hmm. And so true to form, as we turn the page and we get to verse 21, they went into Capernaum and right away, 
Jesus yeah. <laughs> entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. And mm-hmm. the people were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not like the scribes. And that refrain of like, wait, he's teaching like he has authority, or wait, he's healing like he has authority to do that is something that will continue, and the word starts to spread like wildfire, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, by the end of Mark chapter 1, people have been healed, unclean spirits have been removed, like mm -hmm. in one chapter Mm -hmm. of of storytelling, but at the very end of that chapter, not the very end, but close to the very end, in verse 35, I love this picture of... Jesus' private life. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and, and look at it in contrast. I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you to say, look, I'll you back your it journey. up. I like your journey. Back you up just a couple of verses where he has been doing all of that. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. That's right. In verse 33, the whole town was assembled at the door. Yes. So like this <laughs> is what's relevant. happening yes. is that there's all these crowds moving, mm-hmm. following him. And it says, and Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And then, so then look at, and, and then, then what happens at 35. And then it says in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up. He went out and he made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon mm-hmm. and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. I love that, like, he knew that. He knew yeah. everyone, but he knew, and he could, he could have remained and and continued to serve, but you can only pour out from full, right? And then I love in verse 38, and he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. And you get a couple of those throughout Scripture, this like, I have come to do this. I've come for these Mm -hmm. reasons, and I love this particular one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think at the beginning part of this gospel you see him proclaiming the kingdom and then displaying the power of the kingdom. So he's like, for instance, we're going to get to the Beatitudes, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. He's, he's, he is in the Sermon on the Mount. He's basically laying out, this is what kingdom life looks like. So he's proclaiming the kingdom, but all these healings are a demonstration of the power of the kingdom. Um, and so um, just as John the Baptist said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's what we see unfolding. Mm-hmm. And I love this, that he taught with authority. Let's remember mm-hmm. that, you know, the scribes, for instance, the Pharisees, they were teaching the law in such a way that it was so, you know, the jot and the tittle. They were like straightening out a nap. They were forgetting the weightier matters of the law. Jesus didn't come hmm. like changing the scripture you know he didn't teach like necessarily a new truth he taught that they had the wrong understanding of the truth so for instance in the sermon on the mount as you know he says you have heard it said you shall not murder Uh, well i say you should not be angry you know uh you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery well i say you should not lust if you lust in your heart you actually committed adultery in your heart so in other words it's not that jesus saying i'm bringing a new teaching he's saying the Pharisees and scribes, they were only teaching at a surface level. But your righteousness, he said, should exceed that of the Pharisees. So he's trying to teach them. with a, that. That's why they saw what this guy's teaching differently. He's teaching with authority. In other words, he's saying this is what that scripture means for your heart. And then one last thing I wanted to say, when you talked about that he was you know, obviously praying, I agree that he was dependent on the Father. But then he says, let's go on and preach uh, to other villages 
one of the things that hit me as I was reading that is identity produces clarity. So Jesus knew his identity. Hmm. Like in other words, or maybe yeah. I should say mission even. He knew his mission. His mission was to suffer, die, and rise again. Yes, he was going to heal people along the way. He didn't come to heal everyone in the sense of the physical healing, right? He came ultimately to go to the cross. And so I think there's a lesson mm-hmm. in there for us that, man, when we know why we're here and what our mission is and our identity, yeah. it does help clarify what we do and, and helps us choose the best over good. If Jesus just did everything that was good, That's he, right. would ne- he would have never got to yeah. the cross. But his mission mm-hmm. kept him on track. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, he did not come to be served, but to serve. And like the ultimate service was the giving of himself on the cross. But all along the way, his life breathed service. Yeah, that's right. One of the questions in our study books at the end of each day's reading in this section, one of the questions is, what did I notice about the way Jesus lived his life? And so I like, you know, for me, that flagged, Rachel, that same passage about how he rose early in the morning, went out to pray to a deserted place. And and it's funny because that verse 37 is like, it's like <laughs> my worst case scenario. Everyone's looking for you. Like you're disappointing <laughs> everyone right now. You know, you're supposed, they want you to be where yeah. they are. They want you to be doing these things that you've been doing for the last few days, but you're out here by yourself. But the thing that I'm noticing in these readings this week and last week is that Jesus's priorities, like his priority is obedience to the Father and the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. And yes, like like you just said, both of you, that like, the healing and the teach, like all of this is is baked into why he came, but there is an ultimate like why and the ultimate will that that he was to to die on the cross mm-hmm. and and rise yeah, from the, the grave. And so the, No, I'm sorry, I was gonna say, yeah, because because we know that we have to keep the truth of Jesus healing and his miracles alongside the fact that sin and death or sickness and death are always going to be a part of our reality on this world. Yeah. And that in other words, yeah, we are there's some people that have wrong theology that believe that, you know, what Jesus is doing here means that we should never get sick, right? If we have enough faith, for instance, we won't we won't be sick. Well, that's not true, obviously. We know that we are gonna get sick. We are gonna die one day. But so Jesus, yes, he healed people, but the ultimate healing that he was coming for Yes. was to give us forgiveness of sins and to give us eternal life yes. and therefore give us victory over death. And so if he wasn't committed to that ultimate goal and committed to the will of the Father, well, gosh, we would have no hope because ultimately we are going to die. I think COVID kind of showed all of us the reality that, oh, yeah, this life is fragile. You know, this life yeah. is not forever. You know, hopefully it was a wake-up call Man, I am going to die. And so, yeah, Jesus understood the healings were great, and he did it out of love and compassion, but the greatest healing kept him focused, and therefore he didn't heal everyone right away. He walked towards Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, and it's it's as if you've read ahead. um, Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Because in Mark 2, which we'll also read in the same day's reading, it's the story of Jesus and the paralytic where, you know, the story is, and you guys will read it, and if you haven't read it, you'll love it. If you have read it, you'll certainly remember it, where there are so many people crowded in to hear 
and see Jesus that there was no room, not mm-hmm. not anywhere, not in the doorway, not anywhere. And so these men came and brought their friend who was a paralytic and could wanted to get him to Jesus to be healed. You know, the story goes, could not could not get him in to the mm-hmm. building, to wherever Jesus was. So they make a hole in the roof and lower him down. But what Jesus says to the man is it says, this is Mark 2, verse 5, seeing their faith, the, the faith of the friends, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Mm-hmm. Right away, I love this. This mm-hmm. this verse 8 is such an interesting, like, fully divine, fully human moment. Yeah. Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Hmm. And immediately he got up, took his mat, went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Oh, man. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> we have never seen anything like this. I love this, this, that, that story. And I think you are absolutely right on that that story makes the point that I was trying to make even better than I made it, which is Jesus, you know, was, was healing people, but his, his primary focus was on the greater healing of your sins being forgiven. And what I love about this is so many things in this story. First of all, the fact that these four that we don't even know their names that are lowering him Hmm. down. And I just think about even when I got invited to that event it was a J Strat crusade. I went because pizza was offered and I, yes. uh, the, the, <laughs> I'm the, sorry, the, pizza. Yeah, I know. And it spoke to, and the, and the message time. spoke to me, but I didn't go forward. So I went to a friend yeah. and I said, man, I was supposed to, I was supposed to go forward. I think, and I think the Lord is calling me and he goes, come on, let's go. And he grabbed me by the hand mm-hmm. and he walked me down. I go, what are you doing? And he took me down there to his youth pastor. <laughs> and I said, sir, mm. I need Jesus. And he, prayed with me. So I just feel like sometimes we've got to help people. Like that's why we're Mm -hmm. in people's lives. And maybe they're not going to say, hey, take me down. But I love that you find these friends taking them to Jesus. And I think it speaks to our role in helping people, ushering them into the presence of Christ. But the other thing I want to point out that I think is so important is it says here, seeing their faith Jesus told the paralytic, right? son, yes. your sins are forgiven. So think about this. They've not even said a word yet, <laughs> you, right? So right. you think, you think right. my, my faith is saying, I believe in Jesus. It's not lip service. Before they even said a word, he saw their faith. So I think what that says to me That's is right. faith mm. must become visible for it to truly be faith. And ladies, I, I often wow. think of the story of Noah and his ark, that what I share with my people is the ark that he built, that was a physical manifestation of his inner faith that you couldn't see, mm-hmm. you know? But when you yeah. looked at the ark, you saw his faith. Every time someone looked at the ark, they thought, 
that crazy Noah, he really believes God's going to send water from the skies and flood the earth. You know, every time they saw it. So the question is, what is our ark, if you will, that we're building that not only that, you know, Jesus can see our faith, but that the world can look and say, oh, he must really believe in Jesus. That's why he's responding this way or, or why he's doing this. And so, man, I love their faith was visible. And I love one other thing that their faith was persistent. Like they, they, they didn't, they couldn't Mm -hmm. get in. As you guys were saying, it, the way was blocked. And so they go, all right, we're going to go over yeah. and come down from the roof. And I think you find, find this. Way. Yeah, and, uh-huh, you find this in Scripture, Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Or in Luke 18, where the parable of the persistent widow, the widow that can't get justice, but keeps mm-hmm. asking the judge. That's right. And Jesus says, this unjust judge finally relents and gives her what she wants. How much more will your just father give to those who persistently pray? And so I think what mm-hmm. you see here is, for us, this is what faith ought to look like. It ought to be not just lip service. It ought to be visible. It ought to be persistent. You know. And then, I'm sorry, one other thing that yeah. hit me. What you were saying about the how this is a good story to show that he was interested in the greater healing. And I love it. He says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you? Because from the outside, yeah. we'd say, yeah, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you because who knows whether or not that really happened. You know what I mean? You can't right. look inside yeah. someone's heart, you know? So in, in a sense, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you um, from our hmm. vantage point. We know that forgiving sins is definitely more difficult, but... On the outside, we'd say, yeah, it's harder to say, get up and walk. And so he says, so harder I'm going to- Harder to do- make a man walk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the one that you think is harder, okay, mm-hmm. to show you that I have authority to do the one thing that is impossible for us to do, which is to be forgiven yeah. of our sins. And I love that. Yeah. And so I'm the, gonna physical, do the, physical, <laughs> uh, the physical healing, authenticated- the greater healing. Does that make sense? And I think that's, that's right. what the story yes, right. is telling us. Yeah. So. Yes. But yes. even just like, it's also telling us like that the greater sickness, there's a greater sickness than what we feel. There's a longer yeah. term sickness mm-hmm. than what we can see with our eyes or feel with our bodies. Hey y'all, are you as exhausted as I am from all of the holiday things and all of the busyness on the calendar? Or maybe you aren't busy, but you are weary. I want to remind you of what Jesus tells us in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This year, beginning on February 6th, that is not too long from now, in our brand new study, I Will Give You Rest, We're going to spend two weeks exploring Scripture's invitation to intentionally and regularly embrace rest for the sake of experiencing unhurried space with God. Y'all, rest isn't just a good idea for when we're burnt out or overwhelmed. It is a promise, and it is an invitation. So please plan to join us. You don't want to miss this study called I Will Give You Rest. It begins February 6th. And of course, you know, that means that now is the time to get those physical study books, those digital study books at shopshereadstruth.com. And of course, subscribers, your books are already headed your way. 
Amanda and I are really looking forward to this study with you. And of course, we can't wait to podcast those two episodes with you as well. We've got some great guests and it'll be a really sweet time. Head to shopshereadstruth.com, get your books, get ready, and let's get back to the show. Mark wastes no time. It just endlessly Poor delights guy. me. Yeah. But the story of Jesus going, you mentioned this already, Ashley, of Jesus going to Levi's house, to Matthew's house, mm-hmm. um, and the tax collector. And Can that, I ask a question about the tax collector? Yes. Mm-hmm. This might be a, a dog that doesn't hunt, but again, oh. I just, I, I like to know these things and I always like get curious. So if his name was Levi, yes. was he a Levite? Would he have been I given know. because he is of the tribe of Levi? We don't know. That would I don't know. Okay. And I don't know that he would know. Do they know at this point? Their tribes, certainly, especially the Levites, because they're the priestly tribe. Yeah. Like they would be the ones serving. Anyway, the, the question yeah. that I had was not every Levite is a priest because we don't need that many priests, but like what other jobs did mm-hmm. Levites have? And like the interesting thing of like him being a tax collector and kind of like collecting tithes for the Roman government versus mm. being a priest and collecting tithes for Yahweh. I don't know, mm. just like the dog doesn't hunt probably, but I was no. just curious. I like that phrase a lot that you're using. <laughs> no, yeah, the dog did not. That dog don't hunt. Somebody, my one of my seventy professors used to always say that. So thanks for reminding oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that you are onto something uh, because I do think that the reason that the tax collectors were so like despised right. by the people is they were Jews that were that basically they were sellouts. You're selling out and like you're, contracted by the Roman government. Yeah. And they would also, they would manipulate their power. And some of them would obviously take some off the top for themselves, you know? And so they were really despised. But man, you're selling out our people who are under oppression and you're serving our oppressor. So I think the fact that his name is Levi, I think does drive that point home even more that, man, he's a Levite. He's probably, you know, his name comes from Mm -hmm. Levi Mm -hmm. and yet he is, you know, rejecting like so, the priestly line, yeah. yeah. And, you know, the paralytic, uh, the the leper, did we talk about the leper? We may have skipped that, right? The leper, the paralytic, and the it. tax collector. So you think about this. What are you seeing in Mark? Yeah. Literally the most ostracized people. I mean, it's a like leper. like a who's who, yes. Yeah. yeah. Think, about, think about back to COVID. Think about COVID, like the early months of COVID, like oh March 2020. Yeah. If you heard someone had COVID, like, mm-hmm. you, like you were like, I'm not get away from me, right? You wouldn't even go to their house, right? Circumvent that block. Uh, right. Yeah. And so yeah. Jesus is going, the leper was even more. And I love, by the way, back to the leper, that yeah. it says Jesus, he says, if you're willing, he doesn't doubt Jesus' ability to yeah. heal. He's just wondering if it's in your will. That's right. You know? And that's faith. Yeah. But yeah. then I yeah. love is he says, not only says I'm willing, but then he says he touched him. Why does the scripture say he touched him? Mm-hmm. Because I think, Oh, because that's what he shouldn't have done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he shouldn't have. Because if you touch a leper, mm-hmm. you, you know, but he's ta- mm-hmm. again showing that Jesus can can touch a leper and not himself get condemned, you know, and not himself yeah. get diseased. Yeah. It, I think it's a picture of the gospel that he didn't just from from yeah. from his uh, seed and glory just say you're forgiven. He actually mm-hmm. put on human flesh and came yeah. into the world. The incarnation is Jesus touching us who are lepers. Tax collectors, That's right. yes. ostracized, paralytic, you know, the least of these, and he steps in. So I yes. think it's a yeah. beautiful picture there. 
Yeah, he didn't heal the man and then touch him. He touched the man and then healed him. And I mean, that's what he does for me. <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't have to wait to have access to Jesus until I'm cured. Yeah, mm-hmm. it won't work that way. I hope our readers, when they read these stories, like their love for Jesus is just going to go, I mean, wow. Why he would love yeah. me this yeah. much, you know, because that's who I was. No. Yeah. yeah. Yes. We live in a time where there's a lot of fear of association with the wrong people mm-hmm. um, because anyone could become the wrong person at any moment. Mm-hmm. And and exactly. you see in it when Jesus is at Levi's house and there it says it doesn't just say like a handful, it says many tax collectors and sinners were mm-hmm. eating with Jesus and his disciples. So all of them are eating with this lot of misfits, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and people who are among the most hated. And for there were many who were following him. So there are curious people, onlookers, following Jesus. Um, when the scribes, who were Pharisees, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he do this? <laughs> why does he eat with tax mm-hmm. collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so you were saying earlier, Rachel, like, which is the greater sickness, the physical sickness or the spiritual one? And he's actually using that as an example here to go like, it's not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick. And that's that's why I'm here. And, you know, Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, you're all sick. You're all spiritually sick, right? Um, I I think you're... I I love that. just nailing this, the culture we live in today of the cancel culture that is even in the in the church, honestly, yeah. like on Twitter, like if, man, you associate with that person, then, you know, we're canceling you because you've gone too far left or too far right, whatever it may be. I just wonder how many of us would be offended by Jesus, who he was relating to and who he yeah. was, you know, reaching out to. Who um, he was and, following and... yeah. And I think he, I think these people, yeah, the Pharisees were not, they didn't see themselves or the tax collectors or God really clearly, I think. Mm-hmm. Because, man, if you understand, like, and I love he goes, well, it's the sick who need a doctor. So you think of it this way, yeah. I think there's a little underhanded jab at the Pharisees here going, you're the doctor. Like, can you imagine if I said, I'm a doctor, mm-hmm. and y'all said, who are you a doctor for? And I said, oh, I'm a what kind of doctor are you? And I said, I'm a doctor for healthy people. Like you would laugh at me and go, what? No, I mean, it's a do- doctor is meant yeah. to be for sick people. And I think this is what he's saying. Though. Yeah. He's saying, you guys are supposed to be the doctors, the leaders of Israel. And you're like being a doctor for healthy people, so to, so to speak. The reason I came is for sick And you're people. telling me not to heal the sick people. Right. Yeah. Later, you asked about being offended by Jesus at some point. So like in a couple of days, I guess on Wednesday of this week, later on, yeah, in Luke, um, it's in Luke 7, where Jesus says, they're talking about John the Baptist, but later he says, blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Uh (laughs) And I thought, I underlined that. I was like, like, because I think that I get offended by Mm -hmm. Jesus and like, well, that's just too far. Or yeah. you, you know, a Holy Spirit nudge in a certain direction. I'm like, well, that's just, that's just, that's just silly, Jesus. I was just thinking about, you know, the, um, the statement that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Um, I think some people get offended oh, yeah. by his grace because, 
you know, not that person. Don't go associate with that. I mean, that's too mm-hmm. far of a sinner, right? The sinful woman, which we'll talk about, you know, that is forgiven. And then, yeah. or, or the other side, they're, uh, they're offended by his truth. Like, hey, I like the grace stuff, but man, don't mm-hmm. speak absolute truth. Right. And so I love that scene of, that you referenced about John the Baptist, because John is asking him a question. Are you the Christ or, or should we look for another? We see, right. so for John, I think, you know, that might blow us away. Like, why is John questioning the one who heard the father saying, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased at his baptism? Why would he be? <laughs> but even John, I think we forget the presuppositions people brought to the table about like who the Messiah was to be. So the healings and the, right. and the raising people from the life made sense. But what about the, the winnowing fork that was to be in his hand? The judgment, I'm not seeing that. So they ask. And I love that Jesus doesn't rebuke John. He just, he gives him the answer. Go tell John what you see. Yeah. And he gives him, you know, the evidences of what the Messiah was to do, was to preach good news to the poor and to heal people and raise them to life. And then he says, and remind him, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And I think what that says is some people, they want a God that fits their box. And Jesus was not a Messiah they were yeah. expecting. They were expecting a ruler, a right. military ruler to drive out Rome, not a suffering servant to lay his life down to usher in a heavenly kingdom. So I think that's a lesson for they us. Expected. Like, yeah. Are we offended by Jesus, like you said, in some ways, because he doesn't fit our box? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, which leads us to the Beatitudes, <laughs> which does not fit mm. the box at all. And I actually really like in this reading plan, we get to side by side on day nine in your study book, it's page 57. As our reading, we see the account of the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter five, but also the account of the Beatitudes from Luke chapter six. And it was really helpful for me to read the Beatitudes from Luke, because I almost always read them in Matthew, right? And so to read them here, Afshin, it made me think so much of what you said kind of at the top of this episode about the cost of following Jesus. Because after we read from chapter 6, verse 20, we get down a little further, even to this like, woe to the self-satisfied, and it kind of calls out Maybe what your cost isn't leaving your father and mother, but maybe it's this. And you, you know, you referenced the rich young ruler. Um, do you guys want to read Luke six? Yeah, sure. And and talk about that a little bit. Um, Amanda, do you want to read it? Yeah, this is um, Luke six, starting in verse twenty. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now, because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. It's just a different, mm. like, it it's just different. like a slightly, it's uh-huh. that familiarity, and you kind of step out of that, and you're like, oh, all right. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, like you, Rachel, I'm more familiar with the Matthew passage. But what I like right. about the Luke Luke passage is one that you've got 
not just blessings, but blessings and woes. So you've got kind of a yeah. clash of two kingdoms here. You've got the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. Like this is basically saying, here's what the values are in the kingdom, and here's what the values are in the world. And I think the the major key here is if you notice, what's also different is in Luke's account, there's the now. So in other words, blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who weep yeah. now. And then woe mm-hmm. to you who are mm-hmm. who are now full. Woe to you who are now mm-hmm. laughing. So I think what he's what he's driving home is that um, the the ones who are blessed are those who rightly see eternity. Uh, in other words, that this life yeah. is just a blip, and this stuff is going away. So if I am trading in this life, so to speak, for what is going to last for eternity, okay, then then yeah, then it makes sense that if I'm poor and clinging to Jesus. If I'm hungry and clinging to Jesus, if I even go through suffering and I and I am hated by people but clinging to Jesus, guess what? Practically speaking, for all eternity, I'm going to be rich. And so, you know, mm-hmm. uh, who's who, you and know, laughing so, and full. <laughs> yeah, and the wise person is going to, you know, uh, Jesus says, giving up your. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm blank here right now, but giving up your. Uh, soul, uh, you know, for the world. Like, you know, you don't want to do that. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? soul. Yeah. Thank you. In other words, I think what he's saying is there are the people who are focused on the now. They are going to mourn and weep for eternity. There are people who are full now. There are people who are laughing now. And so, I don't know, that jumped out at me, the nows. Um, and, And so, Mm-hmm, we have to have that focus because if you think about it, you're like, well, why would being poor be a blessing? Well, I think it's a blessing only in the sense that it causes you to cling to Jesus. If it does, then it, yeah. you, you are blessed. Yeah. And the important thing, even like for believers, like I love that you just use the word for the wise person, for the wise person to currently feel fullness or laughing or to be loved, those are for the wise person a foretaste of eternity. They are not the end. Because we don't want to read this as people who are like, well, I I should only ever be hungry. I should only ever be crying. No, no. It's the person who puts the good things in their right place and says, this is a foretaste of the feast that is Mm -hmm. promised to me. That's Mm -hmm. beautifully said. Yeah, you're you're right. This isn't a, like a, I want to be an ascetic or I want to like hurt myself or cause hurt to myself like that. Uh, For sure not. But you're right. It is that because I mean, think of it this way, also, y'all. If it was reverse, in other words, if there is an eternity, then 100 percent the the woes, the values of, that are in the woe section, would be what you should go for. You should try to be rich, comfortable, full, laughing. Right. It, it, this is what Paul says in First Corinthians. In First Corinthians, drink 15, and be merry. He says, if yeah, he says, if there is no resurrection, then eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow we die. So I think we have it's it's because there's an eternity, especially for those who believe that there will be a feast that we can be blessed in hunger. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, I mentioned this already, but I really love Wednesday's reading of this week because we get so we get a few different um, kind of back to back examples of how 
people respond to Jesus and how Jesus responds to people. For example, and you all will read all of these. We won't read all of them right now, but um, you'll read them this week. We'll read about the centurion whose servant Mm -hmm. is ill and was like, you know, on death's door, and he sends his friends to get Jesus. But what's so fascinating to me is this exchange about worthiness that Mm -hmm. happens Mm -hmm. in this passage where, you know, Jesus is is going with them. And it says, this is Luke 7, verse 6, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself since I am not worthy to have Mm -hmm. you come under my roof. And and then he goes on to say, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. Mm-hmm. And, and the funny thing about that is that up in verse 4, you know, the servants are like going to Jesus and going, come help my friend the centurion, like this man that we serve, because he is worthy mm-hmm. to be granted mm-hmm. this. Like they're going like, he's worthy, he's mm-hmm. worthy. Jesus reaches him and he says, oh, I'm I'm not worthy. And then he's like, you know what? On second thought, like, don't come in because I'm not worthy. But really, all you have to do is speak. Because you are worthy. And it's so interesting to me because this man is displaying such confidence Mm -hmm. in who Jesus is, in like the authority that he Mm -hmm. has. And so this is all of these stories kind of blending together for me. It's this, it's this really cool juxtaposition of people who are just super taken aback by Jesus and how he, the authority that he speaks with, heals with, um, performs miracles with. And in some of them, it infuriates them, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But then some of them, they're like, I don't really know what to do with this, but I'll tell you what I'm not going to do, and that's walk away. (laughs) Like, what I'm going to (laughs) do is lean in. And like, I'm I'm here, whatever this is, it's compelling me, and I'm drawn to this man. Mm -hmm. Um, But... And so he says, you just basically have to speak the word. In verse 9, Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. Mm-hmm. He was amazed at the centurion. He said, in turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. Mm-hmm. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I, I don't have any further comments, only that it made my jaw drop a little. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think... And you know, what's, what's amazing is, you know, this comes right on the heels of, you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talking about giving and, um, you know, that we're not to like give and fast and pray and these things in a, in a way to show yeah. ourselves, but we're to be, do it in humility, right? I think what we're seeing here uh, in Luke 7 is those that Jesus responds to. So you've got, like you said, the confidence shown and the humility shown like he he responds to faith that's confident and jesus if you're willing again i can be healed you know jesus say the word and my servant will be healed you know so that's confidence that's faith but then the humility of saying i'm not worthy is who jesus responds to think about the pharisee and the tax collector (laughs) praying in the temple in luke 18 Mm -hmm. and the pharisees praying god thank you that i do this and don't do that. And thank you that I tithe, that I give to the poor. And thank you that I'm not like this man. And he points out the tax collector. Yeah. <laughs> and then the tax collector says, beats his chest and said, be merciful to me, God, for I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he went home justified rather than the first. And then he That's says, right, for yeah. all who want to exalt themselves will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself before the Lord will be exalted. So what we find here in Luke, friends, is Jesus is not rebuking the sinner 
He's rebuking the self-righteous mm-hmm. over and over again. But the sinner who comes to him with repentance and humility, he responds to. Yes. Yeah. The man's faith, his confidence was rightly placed. It was placed in Jesus, mm-hmm. not in himself. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, exactly. it takes us right to the story of the woman with the alabaster jar. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, and and she's I'm Jesus not is, read that one is out loud. dying, it makes me cry. and 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 she's washing his feet loud. with very expensive perfume. <laughs> Afshin, would you read that whole section for us? Because I feel like we can't read the start of this story without reading the whole part of the story. It 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 just speaks to everything that y'all have just been talking about. So, starting in verse thirty six all the way through fifty, would you read that? Sure. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, Say it, teacher. A creditor has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. And so you see here, I mean... This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. I mean, the so the Pharisee, whose name I take to be Simon, it says Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you after mm-hmm. he's crumbling. And he says, I've come into your house. So Simon mm-hmm. yeah. is grumbling. And the parable that Jesus uses is, is, is huge for me because I think it's not that there are some people who are in debt 500 denarii and some people who are in debt 50 denarii. I think it's that some people rightly know that they're 500 denarii in debt, and some people yeah, incorrectly think right. that they're only 50 yes, denarii the perception. in debt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's because it lines up with everything else, like the centurion servant, like we talked about, uh, the centurion who had such humility. It's, it's, it's um, yeah, it's again that Jesus opposes the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. Yeah. Okay. And so I would say the huge takeaway is I think the first step towards salvation is knowing how depraved we are in our sin and knowing our need of salvation. How great our debt is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 
Oh, y'all, I just, this Man, is, I, I do ex- like that story. I'm glad I you read too. it out loud too, because I feel like you can summarize scripture, you can just read it. I'm a terrible summarizer of and scripture. Listen. How many times on this podcast have I tried to summarize a story and then I just went and read it? Because, read it. and yeah. then it ends up taking <laughs> twice as long. Anyway, that is neither here nor there. But this week of reading, I'm so excited for you all to just be on the, at the beginning of this week where you get to walk through and read these stories. You're going to get to read more parables. Um, that Jesus Jesus taught in parables, and they are head scratchers, and it's on purpose, mm-hmm. and we could spend hours talking about that. Um, maybe another time, but uh, we do have a parables reading plan. We could have deep we podcasted dive. it? No, uh, I don't remember. I don't think so. All right, what, what is time? Add it to the list. Um, but I'm going to because we have because we must adjourn because Ashing has things to do with his day mm-hmm. and <laughs> and people have things to do who are listening. But I am going to read this little bit um, to sort of as a benediction and to give you the the last word here, Ashing. That this passage from Matthew nine um, and it makes me think back uh, to your testimony and the work that you now do with people in your home country um, to minister the gospel. Um, And this is from Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Amen. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you. I'm thankful for that teacher who had the love and compassion and foresight to give you that New Testament and um, and to see what the Lord is doing through you. Thank you, ladies. um, Now. Through grown up asking now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, if I if I if I were to have a last word based on what you just read, mm-hmm. uh, I, what sticks out to me is compassion. Amen. Jesus has compassion for the sinner, for the sick, yeah, for the for the dejected. And I think you know tying that to the the story of he you know that is forgiven much, loves much. He's forgiven little, loves little. I think we just need to remember, you know how much Jesus has forgiven us, how much he loves us, that we are the sinner, the tax collector, the leper, that he touched us, he stepped into our world to save us. And if we have a right understanding of how much we've been forgiven, I think it should give us compassion for others. It should give us love to sit at Jesus' feet and wash his feet with our hair and with our tears. Mm. And so... um, I hope that our readers will go read this scripture, and that's what will be the result. One, they'll have greater love for Jesus. Two, they'll have compassion for those who don't know him. Oh, that's perfect. Yes, uh, friends. Yes, exactly what Efshin said, that this wouldn't be your finish line for Bible reading this week, but that it would be your your starting place, your starting line for reading and engaging with this true story, the life of Jesus. These stories, these words are His, these red-letter words. Uh, friends, I'm so excited for what lays in store for you. Um, and then come back next week, and we will start week three of the life of Jesus. But until next week, Efshin, What do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles.